good morning. Good to see you today. And uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and uh, just excited to be with you. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Just really glad you can be with us today as well. You know, uh, we're in a series called Grounded, as Mike mentioned, and uh, in our second week, and we are going through studying the statement of faith and uh, just being grounded in the things we ought to be grounded in, sometimes things that we take for granted. Last year, we got, <clears throat> excuse me, a big look at, at God and who he is. And today, we're gonna take a look at his word and, uh, and, and why it's trustworthy and what do we do with it and, and all that good stuff. Grounded is also an initiative we're in as a church family over the next few months as we look to uh, complete the project that we voted to go forward with in uh, demolishing and totally rebuilding and constructing and expanding our parking lot. And with that, we'll also be uh, a home for vulnerable girls overseas uh, for them to, to grow and uh, grow up in the faith. It's just some exciting stuff. And so just a heads up that over the coming weeks, again, a reminder, we said this last Sunday, but if you had missed a, your time with us, uh, we're gonna give you an opportunity, if God would lead you, to commit by faith uh, financially uh, to help support this project. And you'll hear more about that in these next two weeks. And then the one thing I wanna kind of put on your calendar though is on Sunday, February 27th, uh, we're gonna have a night of prayer and a night of worship. Uh, we'll meet for just about an hour, probably not quite an hour. That's Sunday evening here at the church. And again, you'll have more details about that coming up as we get closer. But February 27th, our students are gonna join us. It should be good. Uh, but today, what I need uh, right now as we get going is I need, I don't know, maybe about 10 volunteers. And I need you quickly, just right here on stage. You can just line up from this step, just kind of right across in front of me. Who's going to lead the way? Isaac, that a boy. Give Isaac a hand. Who's going to join him? Don't leave him by himself. Matt? I need more. Keep him coming. Brady? Good work. Here we go. Line him up. <laughs> Steph, all right, we got, this will work. All right. So have you guys ever played a little game called telephone? You ever do this when you're a kid? You know, you string up telephone and you got your string and you pull it along and you can kind of talk to each other, right? Does it work? I don't think it worked. But that's okay. What we're gonna do is... Uh, Tim, I'm gonna give you a phrase and you're gonna pass it on to Steph who's gonna pass it on to Isaac and on down the line. And maybe you played this game as a kid and we're gonna see if what comes out on the other end is the same thing that goes in on this end. You confident in them? A little feedback, give them a hand. You confident in them? All right. Tim. Hey, as, as they're passing that along, I wonder, when you think about uh, your copy of God's Word, because we're talking about God's Word today, you know, uh, the original writings of it are uh, quite a ways in the past, and it's been passed down over time from generation to generation, and a lot of people look at God's Word, and they hold it, and they think, how do I know that what's come out on this end is what went in on that end, you know? Do you, do you ever wonder that? Is the copy, that's a good question to ask, is the copy of God's word that I have 
really a reliable one? Is, how has it changed over time? I mean, uh, we're gonna see here in a moment. Hopefully it's not quite like the game of telephone happening behind me. All right, here we go. <laughs> the look says it all. What do you got, man? Just, just tell me what you, what you think you heard. <laughs> Grace, how about you? What do you, what'd you have? This is the most authentic thing uh, coming out of my hand. Okay. The most authentic thing. The, the most authentic thing coming out of my hand. Not even close. Here's, here's what it is. People would say that the most striking thing about me is my optimism and my sarcasm. Think about it. I'm optimistic. Hey, give him a hand. Anyway, good job, guys. Here you have to take your telephone. Do you know, as we wrap up today, we're going to be, uh, or as we dive in today, we're going to be looking at our second point in our statement of faith concerning God's word. And uh, I think my hope, anyway, is that you're going to leave today with some confidence that the copy of God's word you have is reliable, that it is God's word, that it can be believed and can be trusted, and that you would leave uh, with the desire to do exactly that to believe it, to obey it, and to trust it because it is God's word. So with that, let me pray. And then uh, we're gonna jump in together this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, as we sang, are our firm foundation, that we can, can trust you when life goes haywire. We can trust you when uh, life is difficult and when it's good. And that uh, no matter what, because of your word and putting our faith in what has told us about who you are and the truth of who you are. We can trust you and have confidence for the future and, uh, and hope in you. Holy Spirit, would you work in and through me as I teach about your word? And uh, might my words be your own and uh, might you just uh, illumine our hearts to the truth of it. And uh, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, you have on uh, your handout, if you're here with us this morning, uh, a copy of our second article of our statement of faith. And uh, many of you know, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, the EFCA, you might call it our denomination. Uh, it's really, the EFCA is, is a fellowship uh, or a, an association of interdependent and autonomous churches. And we're united around the same statement of faith. So every church is free, it's autonomous, it's, it's got some freedom where it's at in its context but we all hold to the same core statement of faith. And each one of us are different, but we work together interdependently. And uh, so if you would ever go visit somewhere else and visit a free church, you know that doctrinally, at least, we're gonna be uh, in the same, same camp together. And so I think it's helpful for us then this morning just to read uh, our statement of faith and the second article. So would you join me just reading this aloud? Let's read it together. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires and trusted in all that it promises. Isn't that a good statement? 
I really appreciate that. And, and time and the effort that went into articulating that by a number of men and women, uh, and to say uh, succinctly, but profoundly what we believe about God's word. And, and so we're just gonna kind of work through this this morning, and we're gonna be in scripture as well as we go. Uh, but what, what I want you to see here is that in our statement of faith, in this article anyway, uh, first we read about the Bible, about the Bible, and then in this last sentence we read uh, what we're supposed to do about it, the therefore, what we do. And so we're gonna take a lot of time this morning talking about the Bible and helping you understand maybe more about what it is and why it's reliable. And then uh, as we close this morning, we're gonna hear from God's word and uh, we're gonna be challenged to, to do exactly that, to believe all that it teaches, obey all it requires and trust and hope in all that it promises. Sound good? Well, right off the top, first off, we see that God has spoken to us in his word. Friends, God has spoken to us in his word. That's what we said. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both the Old and New Testament. Think about that for a minute. You know, last week we were in Isaiah 40 and we got the opportunity to behold God. We took time to, to really just look at his majesty, his holiness, his grandeur, his power, and also his tenderness and the way that he loves us. And today we confess that this same God, awesome in power, has revealed himself to us. And not just revealed himself to us in a general way, you know, like uh, Romans tells us that everyone, you, you, you look at creation, you have no excuse but to believe that God exists. That's called general revelation. But he's actually specifically revealed himself to us, which we would call special, specific revelation. And so the Bible is God's specific revelation, his, his special revelation, where he specifically reveals more of who he is in his word. And uh, isn't it amazing? I mean, think about that. The powerful God of the universe loves you and longs to speak to you. Would you want to hear from him? I mean, would you want to talk to him? Hear what he has to say? Well, friends, I got good news. He's, he's written it down for you. It's here. It's right here. And so God has spoken in his word. If you got your Bible, uh, turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, uh, chapter one, it'll be towards the end of the New Testament. And in 2 Peter chapter one, uh, Peter writes this. I'll, I'll put it up here on the screen as well. Uh, he says, in verse, starting in verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. What, what Peter's talking about here, if you're not familiar with uh, maybe the story of scripture, and if you're not, that's okay, uh, is that there was a time where Jesus took uh, some of his closest friends and took them to the top of a mountain and revealed uh, who he was in glory, who he truly was. It's called the transfiguration. Maybe you've heard of that phrase before. And, and that's what Peter's referencing. He's like, uh, friends, like everything that was written down in the word, uh, I saw it. <laughs> I was there and I heard God speak and say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Like I was there. I, I'm telling you, it's true. That's what Peter's saying. 
But then uh, Peter goes on and he says this. In verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. When, when Peter talks about the prophetic word, he's talking about the Old Testament of scripture and the things that were uh, written and spoken and prophesied about Jesus that were written down uh, and about the future and, he, and, and of how to live our lives in light of uh, God's truth. Uh, we have it more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. There he's kind of quoting Psalm 119. Your word, Lord, is like a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It helps guide us in life. Uh, pay attention to it like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> what, what Peter's saying here is that uh, the, the copy of scripture that we have and God's prophetic word, it wasn't just made up by people, but it was actually God speaking these things through his Holy Spirit, by his Holy Spirit, through human authors. They were born along, carried along by the Spirit. That's called inspiration. That, that God inspired his word to be written, his very word, to you and to me. And so God's words are recorded in this book, his very words, friends. Now, uh, some things, as we kind of unpack this statement of faith, some things about God's word and God revealing it, as he did it, as we just saw from, from Peter there, he, he did it through human authors, through human authors. You know, God used 40 different people to physically write the copy of God's word that you and I have. 40 different authors from all walks of life, spanning a period of 1,600 to 2,000 years. And, and God, by his spirit, like we just saw Peter say, his spirit bore them along, inspired them to write the truth of God's word. It wasn't made up by people. It was, it was God working through them. And the amazing thing is, is that God, when he did this through his spirit, he didn't ignore the unique personalities and experiences and backgrounds of all these authors. In fact, he, he used them to write his word to us, which uh, I'll show you here in a moment. It's really encouraging to me because that means for you and I, God doesn't like turn us into robots as we serve him or as we do ministry or as we uh, go about life, but he uses our unique past, our unique personality, our unique story. He uses all of that for his glory. And so as you think about your own life and the own, your own personality, your own uh, strengths and weaknesses, your own struggles in the past, your own victories in the past, God uses every one of them as you trust him in ministry. He hasn't, he hasn't made a mistake on you. He uses you just as you are. He loves you. And he'll use you in unique ways that he would use no one else because of how he's crafted you. Well, that's what he does through the authors, the human authors of scripture. Uh, let me give you some examples. Moses, as one example, Moses was a shepherd and a politician in Egypt. Uh, Peter, how about Peter? Do you know what Peter did for a living? He's a fisherman, yeah, Peter's a fisherman, just kind of a, kind of a gruff guy probably as a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman, uh, Joshua was a military general, uh, 
Solomon was a king, nobility. Luke was a, a medical doctor. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Paul made tents for a living and, and he was a religious Pharisee, really religious guy. God used all kinds of different people to write his word. And the list goes on. And he incorporates their personalities even as he does it. He doesn't just turn them into robots. Uh, some great examples of this uh, would just be simply, oh, by the way, there's a, a list there of, of some of those. And uh, you can check those out later and, and jot them down. But we see this really clearly in Luke, who was a doctor. Uh, see, Luke, as a, as a medical doctor, was mentioning different uh, medical conditions and things like that that, that aren't mentioned in other places because he was pretty accurate. And as a doctor, he had to be accurate. And, and you kind of see his personality come out even in the opening of the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Here's what he writes. He goes, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Well, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Does that sound kind of like a doctor? I've been paying attention, I've been studying it, I've been following it for a long time, and I just want to write down really clearly and very orderly for you an account of everything that happened. And so, so Luke's gospel is really helpful in some details that are left out in other places. I'll give you another example of a gospel writer, a guy by the name of Mark. Uh, Mark, we believe, probably wrote on behalf of Peter, helping explain uh, his account of, of Jesus' life and ministry. And uh, Mark was just kind of a typical go get him driven guy, as far as I can tell from his personality. And you see it in the way that he writes. Uh, Mark just, he didn't have time for the fluff. He just wanted to get after it, right? Uh, Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then here's what I want you to notice. I highlighted him for you. How often, this is kind of a fun activity, go read through the Gospel of Mark this week and underline every time he says immediately, at once, right away. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And, and immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants. And they followed him. And uh, the next verse, we go on, we read, and they went into Capernaum. And there it is again, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. I mean, how immediately was it, Mark? Was it like, uh, like as soon as Sabbath was there, like Jesus was at the door, like walking in? Like how immediately does he really mean immediately? I think we just see his personality here. Mark would just wanted, he was driven. He wanted to get point to point, get it done. And they were astonished at his teaching and for he taught them as one who had authority. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, if you, if you took that without understanding or taking into account Mark's personality, you would think like Jesus' life and ministry happened in about five minutes. Immediately, wouldn't you? But isn't that cool? How God takes unique people with unique gifts with unique personalities and uses his spirit to work through them to write his very word. Friends, he does that with you too as you serve him in ministry. He does it even, I believe, on a Sunday morning as, as we unpack his word together. I think God uses my own personality and my past and my gifts and my experiences to, to shape how he communicates to us. And when Pastor Dave is teaching 
He uses Dave's past and Dave's experiences and Dave's personality and the Holy Spirit does that to communicate his word to us. And friends, he does that with each of us. So I just, I, I camp there for a minute just to, to encourage you. God uses you as you are, changes you, shapes you, but he, he doesn't ignore who you are in the way that he uses you. So uh, let's continue working our way statement of faith. Um, it, it's not just written by human authors, but we're talking about both the Old and New Testaments. Both the Old and New. Uh, we believe the Bible is both the Old and New Testament. It, do you know, uh, your copy of God's Word isn't just one book, but it's actually a collection of 66 books that are uh, gathered together, and those 66 books are broken into two different major sections called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, the New Testament deals with things after Jesus was born and, and looking ahead to the future. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And the, and the entire story of Scripture, old and new, is ultimately God's story. It's his autobiography. We read in the beginning, God. And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 how he created everything and, and made everything and, and, and we just keep going, working our way through God's story. But it's, it's 66 books, but one story. And as I mentioned, there is the Old Testament and the New Testament. I wonder, you ever wonder, how do you know how many books are in each testament? Just in case you need to know this, a little trick I'll share with you. How many letters are in the word old? Three, that's not a trick question, three, right? That's three, three there in the word old. And uh, how about in uh, the word testament? Can you count them up fast? Nine, nine words in testament. And so if you take this and you just, uh, you know, slide those numbers together, you end up with 39 books in the Old Testament. Pretty handy, huh? Well, let's go on to the New Testament. Thinking, okay, Josh, how does this work there? Because new, how many letters? Three. Testament? Still nine. But now, just think this, new math. Instead of sliding them together, I'm gonna multiply. And when I multiply them, I'm gonna get what? 27. 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old. And if you can't remember uh, which has more or which has less, whether I'm sliding together or multiply, just remember the Old Testament is a lot bigger. Just like when you are a kid, your dad was a lot bigger. Right? He was old. Just a little trick that might be helpful for you. The other thing, though, that I gave you, just kind of uh, talking a little bit just practically of finding your way around God's word, is uh, I gave you a chart on uh, your handout this morning. And if you're watching online, this will be on our website tomorrow sometime. Um, but uh, there's a structure of the Old Testament and New Testament. And you might wonder, how were all these books assembled together? We said there's 66 of them. Well, how did they choose what order to put them in? And why? Well, uh, first off, you, you might think, well, it's arranged chronologically, right, Josh? Sorta, not entirely. It's actually divided up first by type of literature. So uh, first you have in the Old Testament the books of history, which are all grouped together. And then this group is generally in chronological order, starting with Genesis through Esther. And that kind of summarizes the timeline of the entire Old Testament. Uh, but these first five books are also another kind of subdivision. You might hear the law or the Torah or the Pentateuch referred to. 
Penta means five, Tuk means book, first five books. Uh, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those. But they're part of this greater group of history books. And then uh, after that come books of wisdom and poetry. And there you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And, and those books are generally in chronological order according to when they were written and by whom they were written. And then the last grouping of books is prophecy. And prophecy gets a little tricky because those books then are broken into two other sections, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And the major prophets aren't more important. The major prophets just wrote more. And so all the major prophets are together first in basic chronological order, and then the minor prophets in basic chronological order, minor because they wrote less, they're smaller books. So if you're like, I'm looking to read a book of the Bible this year, you wanna feel good about it? Go to the minor prophets, you'll get through it pretty quick, right? And then you go to the New Testament. You got the New Testament as, as well, and in the New Testament, you have groupings of books, and it's grouped by history first, the four gospels and the book of Acts, which tells us what happened after Jesus ascended and as the church began. Then you have a grouping of, of letters. You have uh, the group of letters that Paul wrote uh, to churches, and then the group that Paul wrote to individuals. Sometimes those are called the pastoral epistles because Timothy and Titus were pastors. And then you have just general letters after that. And then uh, finally, uh, the book of Revelation, which is a book of prophecy, looking towards the future. And so that's, that's really kind of how your Bible's put together. But what I want you to see is that while it's, it's put together and uh, in a different way like that maybe than you would have expected, it's all still one story. 40 authors, human authors, but one big story. And if, if, if you want maybe an exercise for the next time you read through the Bible, as you start in Genesis, God creates everything in Genesis 1 and 2, and then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And uh, God begins going back to the serpent, and, and before he even deals with Adam and Eve, he says this to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, speaking like looking way into the future, their descendants, and he's gonna bruise your head, you'll bruise his heel. You're like, huh? Well, let's kind of unpack this just briefly. Uh, what's worse, a head wound or a heel wound? Crush your head or stub your toe? Yeah, crush your head. Deadly, right? It's definitely worse. Well, and then the offspring that's coming, the offspring of the woman down the road is gonna crush the head of Satan. He's gonna bruise his heel, but he's ultimately gonna win. He's gonna kind of crush Satan. Does that sound familiar? It's speaking of Jesus. And in Genesis 3.15, before God ever even deals directly with Adam and Eve about their sin, he promises that he's gonna fix what they messed up. That there's one coming who's gonna crush the head of the enemy who tempted them and redeemed them. And so the whole story of the rest of this book, of these books, is tracing that promise and asking the question, who is this offspring of the woman? Well, we know, it's Jesus. And uh, how is he gonna crush his head? Well, we know, by the cross and by his resurrection. And then what? Well, we know from God's word, he's coming again to make all things new. And you see, we tra we're tracing that promise all the way through, it's God's story. Uh, let's keep going. 
God's word, uh, we believe it, God has spoken to us in his word through human authors, both the Old and New Testament, and that it's his verbally inspired word. Verbally inspired. Uh, we're saying quite a bit about scripture uh, by, by saying that it's verbally inspired. Uh, first, we're saying that God is revealing himself. He's revealing who he is. If you got your Bible, open with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter three. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter three, uh, we read this. Uh, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor in a church in Ephesus that Paul planted and now Timothy is leading. And he says to Timothy, you, Timothy, you, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And then Paul does something here. He, he kind of goes off on a little tangent, which he tends to do. He goes off on a little rabbit trail sometimes. And uh, what he says is he goes, uh, persecutions, by the way, which persecutions I did endure, but from all of them, the Lord rescued me. And indeed, anyone, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, then he comes back to his point that he was making to Timothy. He goes, but as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's, he's saying, Timothy, you've heard these things. You've watched my life. That's good. But you know, you've also, you've, you don't necessarily need me. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings from the time you were a kid with God's word. Listen to that. Follow that. Obey that. That's really your hope. In fact, uh, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's speaking of, to Timothy about God's word. And, and then he gives some, uh, some truth about the word of God. He says, all scripture, all of it, it's, it's breathed out by God. Like we said, the Holy Spirit bore along human authors. He, he, he breathed into them truth, inspired them. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, Paul, Timothy, you watched me. You don't need me. You have God's word. And it's profitable for you, for every good thing in your life because it's breathed out by God. It's his verbally inspired word. He has spoken in his word. Will you listen to him? And so Paul encourages Timothy in that. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're saying, but that it's verbally inspired. The Holy Spirit bore along the authors of scripture. He, he breathed out God's words. And by verbally, we mean every word, all of it. That the original autographs of scripture, when they were originally written, every word was intentional and inspired by God. Every individual word. You know, uh, we have a lot of different translations of God's word. And so we have some because God's word originally was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and not in English, certainly not in modern English. And so we have different translations because we have to take that original Hebrew, that original Greek, and 
translate it into modern English or if you were French into modern French or whatever language you speak natively, right? And so there's not always a one-for-one translation from one language to another. It can, can get a little dicey at times. And so because of that, there's different translations of God's word into English. There's some uh, holding firmly, and all translations would hold to this, that it's God's verbally inspired word, but say, okay, every word is inspired, so we wanna translate it as close as we can word for word into English, believing that those words are inspired. Does that make sense? But the order of those words in English sometimes doesn't always make sense to us like it would somebody reading and speaking Hebrew in that day. So others look at it and say, well, we agree with that 100%, but, but maybe to help us understand it more, let's take thought, the thought of those three words, which takes like seven words in English to write out, uh, the thought of it translate thought for thought. And so then you end up with translations like the New Living Translation, which is really, really helpful. I read from that a lot. And other translations like that. Uh, generally, I, I preach from the ESV, which is uh, more on the word for word side, but I think strikes a good balance between sometimes going thought for thought and word for word. But I, I just tell you that to understand why there's translations and, and why they matter. But uh, the original text is the verbally inspired word of God. And uh, because of that, it's without error in the original writings. Without error. Um, now you might think, hold on, Josh. I, I saw that game of telephone. You're telling me that God's word, I mean, I buy it, yeah. If he, if he really inspired it, you know, he wrote it through human authors that it, it's for sure his word. But you're telling me it hasn't changed over thousands of years, being written and copied down over and over and over? Come on. I mean, I believe it's his word, but I don't know if I believe the copy I've got today is all that reliable. Well, uh, friends, I'm telling you, it is. Uh, if we were to look at um, ancient literature, one of the things we would do to try to figure out is the copy that we have today reliable or not is look at what we would call manuscript evidence. A couple terms for you here briefly. Autographs would be the original writing, the autograph, right? Uh, the manuscript would be the copy because, hopefully you know this, in the Bible, like they didn't have a resource room in the office with a copier and a collator and punch and staple and bind everything. Like it had to be handwritten down, these copies. And so manuscripts are, are copies of the autographs. You tracking with me? Well, of, of ancient literature, we don't have any autographs of, of ancient literature that gets taught and that we, uh, we value and treasure. But we do have a, a lot of manuscripts, a lot of copies. And so then the question becomes, of the manuscripts of these copies we have, there's two big questions. Well, really kind of three, but, but two primary ones. One, if the original was written in, let's just use our time, 1950, how soon after 1950 is the earliest manuscript copy we have? Because the closer in time to that original, the more we could say that's probably reliable. Like they haven't forgotten over all the years, right? So if the earliest copy I have is either 1955 or 1995, there's a big gap, isn't it? I would trust the 1955 copy if there were differences between the two. How about you? Well, so we look at that, how close to the original, and then we look at how many copies are there 
And with that, do they agree with one another? I mean, if there's 2,000 copies, but every one of them says something a little different, that's not super reliable. We'd probably take all the ones that are the most the same and say, okay, that's what it is. And that's what happens with ancient literature. So I just wanna show you some examples. I have a whole chart with a bunch of, bunch of things on the back of your handout this morning, but let's just look a little bit of manuscript evidence for uh, some ancient literature. Uh, first off, uh, here's some uh, authors. Uh, Tacitus, uh, circa AD 100. The earliest copy we have is from AD 1100. So there's about a thousand year gap between the original to the copy. And there's 20 copies. It's pretty good, pretty good. Uh, next on our list uh, would be Aristotle. You've maybe heard of him, right? Uh, wrote between 384, 322 BC. The earliest copy we have is 1100 AD. So there's a 1400 year gap in Aristotle and, and we have 49 copies of Aristotle. And I don't think if, if you would go into, you know, some kind of professor of ancient literature somewhere or wisdom literature or philosophy and say, uh, is the copy of Aristotle we have reliable to what he really wrote? They'd be like, yeah, it totally is. We got 49 copies. I mean, and they all agree, it's great. Well, then we go on. Uh, Sophocles, uh, date written 496 to 406 BC. The earliest copy we have is AD 1000, 1400 years again. But check it out. 193 copies. So let's go to uh, uh, really uh, the, the copy uh, of ancient literature with the most evidence, uh, Homer's Iliad. It was written in 900 BC. The earliest copy we have is in 400 BC. Now we're closing that gap to only 500 years. And there's 643 copies and the agreement between all those copies, those manuscripts, is 95% accuracy. They all agree in 95% of what's there in terms of errors made copying it over time. Now again, if you'd walk into the, a professor of philosophy at a university or something and you tell, ah, I mean, I think what Homer wrote, he really wrote, but I don't think the copy we have is reliable compared to what he really wrote, you'd get laughed out of the room with this kind of evidence. So what about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament alone uh, was written uh, between AD 50 and AD 100. That's important because the, the, the accounts of Jesus and the early church were written in the lifetimes of people who would have seen Jesus walk the earth and could have refuted the things that were written. The earliest copy we have is a, uh, one of them is a fragment called the John Rylands fragment. And uh, I believe it's at the Gospel of John, AD 130 in that ballpark. And it closes the gap to within 100 years of the original copy to the earliest manuscript copy. And then, so the time gap is, it doesn't even compare. And then talk about number of copies. It's 5,600 plus and counting. Okay, that's great. But if they're all different, then it's a big game of telephone, right? 99.5% accuracy. And any place that it differs is not a major point of doctrine or belief or truth about who God is. Most of them are just spelling errors. Friends, the copy of God's word you have in front of you is unbelievably reliable. And compared with other ancient literature that people would study, I mean, nothing else comes close 
to the evidence that the copy you and I have is the copy that was originally written and breathed out by God. God has preserved his word for us. Isn't that encouraging? Well, uh, by the way, there's the John Ryland's fragment, just parts of that, if you're curious. God's complete revelation, it, it also is, God's word is, and our final authority. Uh, friends, uh, it's verbally inspired, and uh, the canon of what we have, the, the books we have, is God's complete revelation. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't put anything in that he wished he hadn't. It's all here, it's complete. Now, if you wanna know more about some of those things, we don't have time to go into that today of kind of how a canon was uh, uh, recognized by the church. Um, I teach a class called Bible Instruction Class for high school students, and I printed off the whole chapter for that module and talking about some of those things that are available at the Connect desk. I'll put those online as well, and uh, you can grab one of those. By the way, students, if you're in BIC, we'll start up again a week from Wednesday. So not yet this week, but a week from Wednesday. And... Uh, you can check that out, but it's, it's our final authority. Uh, you know, uh, our, our statement of faith reads that God's word is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and every endeavor should be judged. Every realm of human knowledge and every endeavor should be judged by God's word. It's our complete and final authority. Now, uh, just one comment, and then we're gonna talk about what we do with it briefly and, and call it a morning. Um, you know, uh, don't make the mistake of, of believing that, that God's word is intended to address uh, every scientific argument or uh, address things that it, it doesn't address. Um, I mean, what about dinosaurs? I don't read about them in the Bible. Are they in the Bible? Well, then God's word, oh, it's fake, isn't it? Because I've seen, I've seen the bones, right? Well, evidently, God decided that we didn't need to know about all the events of prehistory and dinosaurs, and were they on the ark? What? Two by two, if they were alive, I bet they were. What happened to them? I don't know, they're dead now. But that, the, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't speak to that. You see what I'm saying? but to the things it does speak to. So when we look at science and we study science, we know that, that ultimately it's always gonna point back to a creator. Now we might not know all the details of how it happened. Praise the Lord for science that we can maybe start to discern some of those things. But it doesn't really ultimately matter for what God was trying to communicate to us about who he is, do you see? Uh, another example, we were talking about this in our life group last night, so it's all kind of top of mind for me right now. Um, but what about, you know, the age of the earth? You know, I mean, they study it, Josh, and they say it's like 50 billion years old. I mean, that doesn't seem to line up with the Bible. Well, who says God didn't make it 50 billion years old? Why couldn't he do that? I mean, he probably didn't make Adam as an embryo. He made him a certain age. Why couldn't he do that with the rest of creation and make it, create it at a certain age? It just, it doesn't really phase me in terms of the authority and reliability of God's word. So uh, let's, let's tie a bow on this. And I think our statement of faith does it well. 
Uh, we read that, uh, therefore, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all it requires, trusted in all that it promises. Ultimately, our response to God's word is faith. Ultimately, it's faith. It's believing God's word. It's acting upon it, obeying it. By the way, no matter how I feel, right? Because there's days I don't feel like obeying it. Believing God's word, acting upon it, no matter how I feel. Why? Because God promises a good result, trusting all that it promises. And he keeps all of his promises. He keeps them all. And so that's faith. And so what we do with the Bible, friends, we believe all that it teaches. We believe all that it teaches. Not only that, but we obey what it requires to to trust Jesus to grow in holiness, to, to repent of sin, to love people, and to love one another especially. We obey it. And then we're also to trust all that it promises because there are a lot of promises in this book and God keeps every one of them. And so there's hope for you here in life. Not only direction of how to live, but hope for the future. When life is hard, and so ultimately, uh, here's, here's what this means. And then we're gonna hear from God's word as we wrap up in song. It means when there's a conflict between my feelings and God's word. Do you ever have that or is it just me? Like what I feel and what God says? Uh, what wins? Yeah, the Bible has to win if I'm gonna believe all that it promises. If there's a conflict between Uh, my intellectual conclusions and my opinions and my reasoning and what scripture clearly teaches. You know, in our day and age, uh, a clear point of that would be issues of of sexuality, of, right? When there's a difference between my human reason and what Bible teaches, uh, if this is truly God's word, who wins? God's word does, the Bible wins. And if there's a conflict between uh, my experiences and what God's word says, what wins? Bible wins. It does. Because God has spoken to us, friends, in his word. Uh, Our worship team is gonna come up and uh, as we wrap this morning, um, uh, Josh is gonna lead us uh, singing, but I want you just to stay seated. And the song we're gonna sing, you can sing along, but it's really a prayer asking God to speak to us through his word. And so I wonder how long has it been since you just, you know, you just sat and listened to God's word, spoke and, um, and considered, what about that do I need to believe that I'm not really believing? Maybe about who God is. What is it I need to obey? maybe in terms of my attitude or my love or whatever that is. What is it that I need to trust? Because right now, man, life is just spiraling and I don't know which way's up and I need some hope and I need something to hold on to. And that's a good lens to work through God's word. What do I need to believe? What do I need to obey? What do I need to trust? In fact, uh, in your life group this week, you're gonna do that just working through the book of Philippians. No agenda other than to, to read God's word, study it, hear what it says, and determine what, is, what do I need to do with it? 
that grounded journal is a huge asset that's available to you to take and write and think through throughout the week God's word. Allow God to speak to you. He, he, friends, he has spoken. Will you receive it? Things will be added to you. 
Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. books, get into God's word, let God speak to you through his word. Slow down. Maybe even just put this song on, on your phone and sing it as a prayer before you open his word. Friends, he's spoken. And Isaiah tells us that though the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. There's hope for you here. Receive it. Amen. Hey, have a great week. You are loved. See you next Sunday.